Genesis 24. And let's take a look at Isaac and Rebekah. Abraham was now very old. He's, I mean, it was one thing to be 100. Now he's like 140. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, this is likely the fellow that was mentioned earlier, Eliezer. So I'll refer to him by that name from time to time as I read through this account. Uh, he, had, he had blessed him in every way and he had said to his senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, th this seems like a Harpo Marx uh, kind of stunt that's going on here. Those of you who don't know the Marx Brothers, that was kind of his, his little funny thing that he would do is that all of a sudden he was holding an owl, uh, holding onto your thigh. Um, but this is a vow that is a rather intimate vow, of course, if you're, you're putting your hand under someone's thigh. But what you're saying in this vow is, and this is what Eliezer is basically vowing to Abraham at this point. He's basically saying to him, Abraham, if I do you wrong, I am basically committing myself in this covenantal relationship, not only to you, but I'm also saying by this, because I'm so close to your loins with, with this hand placement right now, uh, that by virtue of this vow, your children can come on after me if, if I break this vow. So th this is not just a vow in this one generation. This is a vow between me and your generations. So a very solemn vow. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Obviously, Abraham understood rather well from Genesis 15 when the promises were affirmed rather deeply by God in that covenantal ceremony with the, the severed animals that we've already studied out. But from that point on, God had said that 500 years from now, basically, you will come back and, and you will uh, clean the land of the pollution that the Canaanites have brought to it with their child sacrifices, with their idolatry, with their putrid symbols of, of um, desecration that have really marred the landscape of the land of Canaan. I will vomit them out of this land and you will then take this land. Obviously, if that's part of being a blessing to all nations, Abraham, of course, realizes probably not best to yoke my son to someone who is part of that. Now, God is a gracious God, by the way. He gives them 500 years, you know, a dozen generations. Plus, he gives them to, to have a chance at second, third, and twelfth chances before ultimately how many generations of child sacrifice and idolatry do you need before you realize, I don't think this thing's getting any better. So, uh, that, that was the one very clear stipulation given to Eliezer, head on on this journey, get a wife for my son, because the blessing needs to continue. It's not enough that Isaac is born, this thing has got to keep on going. And if it's going to keep on going, he's going to need a bride, and a bride that is not going to be a snare to him, to take him away from what is most critical, a faith in God Almighty. The servant said, asked him, 
Well, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? This, this is a, a somewhat impossible task, by the way, that is being presented to Eliezer. He is being asked to travel to a place that he has likely never been, uh, to, to head all the way back up through into the land of, of Babylon. And, and while he's there, to find this needle in a haystack, find a woman that has no idea who Abraham is, no idea who Isaac is for sure, and agrees to marry this stranger and agrees to travel back with him who just has a good story to tell and, and bring her all the way back. So you could imagine that this servant thinking, all right, I just made a solemn oath that's a generational oath. Let me just kind of make it clear here because there's about a dozen things that could go deeply wrong and there's only one very razor thin balance of all things that could go right. And, and my goodness, if that is to go right, it'll defy all odds. But God is behind the scenes here. So if that doesn't work out, can I take Isaac back there? And here's what Abraham says. Make sure you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. You know, even as a side note for us, where we've come from, where God has delivered us from, there is, of course, in the will of God, no desire and actually no possibility of him ever wanting us to go back from where we came from. As, as Jesus calls it, like a, like a dog returning to his vomit uh, would be the parallel of going back to the way we lived, the way we thought, the, the, the way that we interacted and the um, relationships that actually formed us. No going back. Then the servant left, um, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, verse, verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. You can see that he's waiting to kind of make this oath and put his hand under the thigh until he knows that, okay, there's a couple outs just in case this doesn't work. Because it's that big of a deal. And your word is your word and it is as though it is chiseled in stone. Verse 10. Then the servant left taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. Abraham is likely one of the richest men on earth at this point in time, after all of the plunder and all of the blessings that he has received. To even have a camel at this time would have been a mark of one who is of uh, great, uh, great wealth. And, and so to load up with 10 camels, this is making a very clear statement when Eliezer arrives, and if he is able to find members of, of the uh, family of, of uh, Abraham. He set out for Aram Neharaim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. This is a month-long journey, by the way. It's interesting that the month-long journey is a half a verse. And, and now, 
the, the narrator, Moses here, slows everything down because everything becomes so wonderfully important. He made the camels near de- kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time that women go out to draw water. Let me, let me pause here and, and just kind of move forward here in my lesson. Uh, my first point is how I met your mother. And we'll jump back to the story in a minute. But, you know, of course, there's a, a long-running series on TV, which I don't know if is, is recommendable or not. But anyway, uh, uh, by that name. But it, the, the reason that the title is so compelling is not just because it's a, a television series, but it's a story that all kids love to hear. Matter of fact, even you as a grown-up, if, if you still had access to your mom and dad, you, you would still love to hear this story. And you would never get tired of hearing the story. Why? Because it's your story as well. And you know that unless all that DNA came together in just the right way, you would not exist right now. You know, and Caleb and Lindsay maybe never get tired of hearing. Maybe one of them is uh, tires more quickly than the other of, of, of hearing the story. But they, they, they do really love to be able to hear how it is that they came into being. Because this story... As much as it has a lot of, let's say, mini lessons for us as moral examples that God provides. For example, if you're Abraham, you know, we, you, you make sure that you get a godly spouse for your child. That's a great lesson for us all. If you're Eliezer, you rely on the Lord and you really try to be discerning about what God's will is as you try to figure this out. Uh, if, if you're Rebecca, you, you are able to surrender over, over when you realize that it is God who is at work. If you're Isaac, the way to prepare to be a great godly husband is to spend time before the Lord. All of these lessons are, are, are in this text, but it's not the big point of the text. The big point of the text is this. It's to Israel. This is written for Israel. And Israel wants to know how I met your mother, right? How Isaac met my mother uh, so, so that Israel could ultimately be Israel. And this is the precious story of, the, of God's children, his chosen possession. And they would never grow tired of hearing this story. And it's maybe why, of all the stories in the book of Genesis, this is the one with so much detail. And, and boy, if, if you're the scribe writing this years after years, and now you're in heaven, and you realize something called Command C, Command V exists, because so much of the story is rewritten and rewritten in the same chapter, you're like, you mean... We could have just copied and pasted this. And, and I spent hours writing this thing again and again and again. Oy vey, if I'd only been born a few centuries later. But nonetheless, you know, even for, for, for Deb and me, you know, it's, it's a story that the kids love because it seems like there's so many ways that it could not have gone in such a way that there would be a little Caleb and a little Lindsay, even, you know, sitting here or hearing the story then or hearing the story now. But, but it did require for, for people down in Charlottesville to start you know, giving me a knock upside the head and say, there is this incredibly spiritual and rather lovely young lady, and she's a doctor, a doctor! <laughs> in, in Charlottesville, and if you know what's good for you, you're going to figure out how to get on a date with that girl. And... And, and I, you know, I had never been yet on a date as a, as a Christian. 
and it was gonna be my very first date. And I was so nervous, I didn't know how you go about, all I knew is my intensely wicked ways of going about this, where it's like, hey, let me get my rap together, be smooth here. And, you know, none of those rules apply, praise God, in the kingdom of God where everything is upside down. So I, I remember with, with such nervousness, you know, making the phone call and, you know, hearing her voice. I was like, oh my goodness, this is all for real. And, 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 and setting, setting up the date and, and where we're going to go down in Charlottesville. And I was, I was up outside of Baltimore to make my way down. But I had just gone into the ministry and I had been kind of living a rather large life in corporate America going into the ministry where all of that is contracted by 80% in terms of salary and probably even more than that in terms of benefits. And one of the things that I didn't take into account when I went into the ministry is I had a company car the entire time I worked at Coca-Cola. I wonder if they'll give me that when I go into the ministry. <laughs> they didn't. So I, I kind of like fumbled along. I had no money to get a car. So I kind of fumbled along with, without a car for a while. And, but, but now I have to get to Charlottesville. And so now it's like, think quick. How do I get a car? I didn't have roommates. But I mean, like one after another, their cars like broke down before my eyes. Like I set up the date and then it's like, bump, bump, bump. Another one bites the dust, right? I mean, car after car of my five roommates go to, and, but, but I had one hope. There was one running car. My, my roommate, Casey Patrick, had a van. Not a good van, but it was a van and it was running. Now the door didn't shut, so that was a problem. But. That's fine. I worked out a contraption with rope and there's just sliding doors on the van, you know? So you have to like really cinch it tightly to, to keep this thing from like sliding along and not kind of giving suspicion to the police officers as you're going. Right? And, and so I, I did that. I was able to like really cinch this thing tightly. I like, you know, my, my other roommate too, we were kind of like working it around the, the headrest and cinching this thing and tying it up. But I also realized there's four of us that are going to have to sit in this car. So, you know, the rope, I don't know. I, you're going to have to get in this other side. But anyway, so, so I get all set. But then, then as you're ready to go, I, I realized that he didn't have license plates. Oh. I was like, how did I not notice this? So, so now it's, it's the day before. We've already practiced to keep the door shut. Because this is a big deal. It's my first date, right? I, I, you know, I, I, have, I have nothing in, in my view. I, I've, I've got life to do, but nothing is in my view other than this date. And so I, so I uh, get the car set, and then we all begin to just pray and pray and pray that the license plates would come in the mail. And, and the day before, when we think, okay, they're going to come, because, you know, sometimes the mail comes so late the next day that it's going to be too late for me to drive all the way from Charlottesville, from Baltimore down to Charlottesville. And uh, so the plates don't come the day before. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. But then my brother arrives. My brother just moves into Baltimore that next day. And he, and he comes and he has a car on the, on the back of his U-Haul trailer. And we, we try the car and it doesn't work. <laughs> then I think, all right, I got no other choice. I have to drive the U-Haul trailer down to Charlottesville. But then I did some quick calculations of the, you know, 52 cents a mile or whatever it is to drive a U-Haul trailer, you know, from, from Baltimore to Charlottesville. I was like... All right, no, I could, I could like buy a car instead of like driving this thing down there. Um, and, and so then, then I was uh, calling everybody, nothing coming up with, with, with a car, uh, or, or maybe they just realized who was asking. And, and, and then, but then the license plates came in the mail, and the mail actually came early that day. 
not, not super early, so I was going to have to like get on and, and get down the road. But they did. They, they came. We, we screwed the license plates on just in time. I mean, we had like five minutes, really. And, you know, off I went down the road. And it, it, it got to um, Lola and Angie Hoover's house where, where, where Debbie was. And we were going to go on a double date with them. They, they led the church down in Charlottesville. And, and I remember, you know, kind of like, okay, and I made my way to Charlottesville. You know, like half a verse, just like this. But then... Like, in my mind, the story slows down as I walk down the steps of their basement. And, and, and I look to the side, and she's in, in, a, in a side room with the, the Hoover's kids and some other kids. And I just get this glance of Debbie. And, oh, my goodness, what a vision. She was so beautiful. I mean, so incredibly. And spiritual, I would imagine. But so beautiful. And... And then I think, this is my first date as a Christian. Like, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I'm going to blow it. Because I'm going to look at her in, in like a lustful way. So I have to somehow go through this date and not really look at her the, the rest of the time. Because I want God to, to really make this thing prosper. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, you know, look at like, you know, a dot on her forehead or something. Not that she had blemishes. It wasn't a blemish. It was just a spot. Let's just call it a... A, a, a place in her forehead wasn't even a pore because I couldn't even see a pore. That's how wonderful her skin is, right? So, and, and, and we go out, we go out to dinner, Guadalajara, and it, I mean er, everything was like so exciting and amazing. And I, I think I'm regaling her with with uh, humorous stories from my fraternity days. Um, so I thought, and, and and then Lowell and I begin to talk because it was easier to look at Lowell and kind of feel like I'm engaged rather than look at her the, the entire time. And so I, I make it through through that, and then we sit down, we have coffee later, we have a good talk. I'm like, oh my goodness, she's the one, she's the one, she's the one. This is my first date. But may, uh, then, then I think of myself like, oh, you're an idiot, probably it's because your first date you think that. But I was like, no, 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 she is the one, she is the one. And, 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 and actually just three days earlier with all of my roommates, because we were having so much fun as single brothers in the kingdom. I mean, street preaching in downtown Baltimore, studying the Bible with people, seeing people baptized, exciting things going on. I remember saying these words to, to my roommates just three days before this date. What do you think if we did, let's do something radical. What if we all decide to just kind of take the, the, the Paul vow and we just live our lives on the edge with undivided devotion for Jesus. Are you in, brothers? Let's, let's do this thing. Right? And, and they all looked at me like, I, you haven't been on a date yet. Like, maybe you want to wait on that. So, so I, I come back from the date and my very first words to the brothers when I get back, Hey, you know that whole like undivided devotion? I, that was just me kind of thinking out loud. I was just kind of spitballing ideas. Because she's the one. I found the one. Oh my goodness. She, she's it. Incredible. And I began like crafting my follow-up email like even that day and asking them to edit it. You know, even that night. But I, I couldn't send it yet, right? I mean, I, 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 I've, seen, I've seen the movies. You can't, you can't do it that quick, right? So I was like, oh, give, give, it, give it a day and a half. Day and a half. Then send it. Right? So all of, and, and at the same time, of course, she comes back to her roommates that night. And they ask, you know, how did it go? She was like, oh, he's, he's kind of a frat boy. <laughs> And so, and so, 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 so what do you think? And this is the quote. Not in a million years. So, right, right? And so, imagine poor Caleb and Lindsay hearing the story and saying like, 
How are we going to come into being? I mean, obviously we exist, so something happened for, for, for this to occur. And, and, and praise God that Angie Hoover had the presence of mind to say, okay, even if he's not the one for you, he's the type of guy that you should get to know better. So if he asks you on another date, probably you should at least try to give it one more shot. And, and, and praise God, by the, by the time the second date occurred, I don't know what happened, but, but, but somehow all of the frat boy in me uh, didn't kind of come to the surface, maybe because Lowell wasn't there, and Lowell brings that out in me, by the way. And, 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 we, and we really, we had a special time at connecting, the softer side of me came through, I calligraphied her favorite verse, which I didn't know was her favorite verse, and I, I, I write like a girl, so I, I'm able to do this. So I, I, I calligraphied this, this verse for her, and put it in a frame, and it was all kind of special, and, and, it, 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 and from there, Unbelievably, you know, God really did start to, to knit our hearts together. And, and, and she made this bold move of leaving her ridiculously lucrative medical practice to make like a thousand dollars a month to join me in the ministry up in up in Washington, D.C. And, you know, for, for, from there, hey, the rest is history. And that's how I met your mother. Uh, <laughs> right. But, but for for Israel. For Israel, this, this is the same kind of eagerness that they would read this story. And to, and to think, wow, how, how all of this is able to go down. And, and the preciousness of God sending his angel, arranging all of these things so it could occur just so. So let me, let me kind of um, make, make my way through. Um, then the servant left, verse 10, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master... He set out, for I already read this. All right, verse 12. Then he prayed after, after the women have all come out to, to draw water. They do that in the evening, right? Who wants to draw uh, water in Babylon at noon, right? So you, you wait till the cool of the evening. And, and when the women come out, then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring. And the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Now what he's asking for is not an easy thing. He had 10 camels. They've just traveled over many, many, many miles where they would likely be depleted. Even, even if they're half depleted, this is an un unbelievable task that is being asked of any maiden. Uh, 10 camels, each could drink 25 gallons of water. So 25 gallons of water for 10 camels and the typical uh, jar that, that you would have, the, the kind of the, the masonry jar that you would have, um, would hold probably at most three gallons of water. So teens, 25 gallons times 10 camels Divided by three gallons of water. How many trips would Rebecca have to make to be able to say, hey, I'll water your camels? A lot. <laughs> anyone? 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 What, what, what you got? Right? At least 70. At least 70, yes. At least 80, actually. That's, that's schlepping some water. Like, that 80 trips. So it, it's not like he's saying... Oh, hey, I'll pour you a little water in your glass. And you know what? Here, let me pour a little for your camel as well. No, what he's asking for from the Lord is to have a woman 
who has a depth of character that would be unmistakable. He doesn't pray for beauty, charm, any of that. He prays for a woman with a, a, a deep and wonderful character. So may it be that when I say to the young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink. And I'll make 83 trips back and forth to the well to water those camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, gotta love that, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah. Ding, 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 ding. That's very important because that meets the major requirement. However, Eliezer doesn't know that she is not a, a Babylonian, not from Ur, but that she is actually a member of, the, of, of Abraham's lineage. She, he doesn't know that, but we know that because the narrator knows that. But keep that in mind. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, going pretty well so far, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. Now, it would most likely be the case that if you're doing this, you would then feel like, okay, I've shown some hospitality. It would be very unlikely with a man there and you being a woman to think, oh, and I will make 83 and one-third trips for you as well. Right? So that's still hanging in the balance. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. Right. No small undertaking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and did this enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely. Apparently had a lot of time to do that. <laughs> to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. This is a deep moment of discernment because who, who wouldn't think, oh, obviously she's the one. But there's something very important that he has not yet realized. The very words that were given to Abraham by the Lord that were given to him, which is make sure that she is from a faithful lineage. Make sure. He doesn't know that yet. Again, if, if you had prayed, oh, you know, let's say you are praying, let's say for a spouse and oh, let, let it be that, you know, he's wearing a, a, a red tie and that he is whistling Yankee Doodle as he walks, right? And all of that happens as you walk in, like, oh my goodness, red tie, Yankee Doodle, who, who knew that all this, it would be so easy for so many of us to think, oh, God's answered my prayers. But how do we know God's playing our game? The important thing is the word of the Lord that defines whether God has answered your prayers or not, and not the own little hurdles that you set up yourself. Yeah. And so, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a... Uh, I'm in verse 22, by the way. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a becca, and two gold bracelets, weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, here it comes, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, 
Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah bore to Nahor. This is Abraham's grandniece. So she is the granddaughter of his brother. Uh, so, ding, 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 ding. Now, everything is coming clear in the eyes of Eliezer. When she says that, the son of Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Could have been done easier. That would have been on his own ideas and terms. But he, he subordinates even his own hurdles to the clear word of the Lord as to whether his prayers are answered or not and as to whether the will of the Lord is being borne out or not. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. So how I met your mother, how, how astounding it would be for Israel to hear all that could have, have gone wrong in this impossible assignment that the servant faces. He has to travel over 400 miles to find a woman who is related to Abraham, who is willing to go back to Canaan with a, with a servant and willing to marry a stranger. What a test. The, the, the woman, which woman would offer to go down the steps to the spring, haul up, haul up enough water to water thirst, 10 thirsty camels, and on top of that, would, would also be willing to forsake her entire security of her family on the word of some guy. Uh, and would also then be so faithful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. And as Israel read this story, it knew that its very existence hung in the balance in every detail of the story. If Isaac had married a Canaanite princess... There'd be no Israel. If God had not guided the servant to Rebekah, no Israel. If Rebekah had refused to go, there would be no Israel. But there is an Israel. And the reason being is because this is not just, oh, happy coincidence, but the Lord ordained it and the Lord sent his angel before them. And so as Israel reads this story, whether they are needing the security before they go into the promised land to do God's will, or, and, and to take on the inhabitants of walled cities that they're going to have to take down and go into battle even though they are untrained, or whether they are despairing of ever coming out of exile and they're reading this story, they would read this story realizing, against all odds, we exist. And yet our Lord revels in the unlikely and is always coming through to make sure that Israel will always be a thriving entity, both as Jacob, who becomes Israel as the result of this wonderful union, or ultimately in, in the nation of Israel itself. They, they would have reveled in that. You know, centuries later, the Lord calls on another woman to advance his cause to be his chosen bearer of his seed. And at that time, another angel is sent ahead, likewise to prepare the way, just as this angel did for Israel. 
And in the Bible it says the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, his kingdom, there will be no end. And that kingdom, as is confirmed to Peter through Jesus, the gates of hell itself will not prevail against what it is that I establish through you. Just as Israel persevered because of, it, of, of God's will for them, so likewise we, the, the new chosen people, the new Israel, the new covenant that, that God has established with us, we likewise have had all of this prepared against all odds so that we would continue to be the blessing to all nations. You read this also with the wonder, is it really all going to happen? It has. You've come into existence. You've been reborn. You are a new creation. All of this has happened, on, again, on a razor-thin possibility, but not really, because it is God's will, and His will will prevail, and nothing will prevail against you. Just as Israel could take heart to that, so you take heart to that now. As you see the God behind Israel and the God behind His very church, the body of Christ. That's who we are as we read this story and as we read the story of the next angel who goes and prepares how it is I met your mother uh, to be able to see the body of Christ brought into existence. Now I want to just end with a side note here. How should you meet your spouse? And, and this story does give us a bit of um, insight for that as well. You know, it's so tempting in this world to compromise because of a heart tug of romance. If, if you're single, this is one of the most difficult things. So, so very difficult. And by the way, I read this now to you, not because you've been compromising, but as I look at our singles, our, our, our teens that are here, but I read this to applaud you. Because there's not one person that I can think of, oh, you need to hear this right now. But let the word of the Lord dwell within you richly anyway, so that when any sort of snare tries to come your way, he can insulate you by his great promises to you and by the love that you know that he has for you. We, we see Abraham recognizing this, but l let me just take a bit of a tour of, of some scriptures. Exodus 34 says, I'm going to start in verse 11. Of course, this is verse 16 here, which is where I'll end. But, but here, let me read the, the uh, preface to this. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. This is as Israel is getting ready to go into the promised land. Be careful when you go in there not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare to you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles. Don't worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, 
and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Historically, this is the number one reason why people have lost their faith in all the pages of the Bible. It should be no wonder that it is one of the biggest threats that you would face today as well. In Deuteronomy, just a little while later, reiterating the very same words of Moses. Uh, in Deuteronomy, starting in verse 3, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars. Smash their sacred stones. Cut down their Asherah poles. Burn their idols in the fire. I've read on in this, by the way. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. When they did compromise due to a, a purposeful snare sent to them, Numbers 25 tells of a story. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal, bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. By the way, the story continues. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite and the Moabite woman into a tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. And the Lord appreciated the zeal of Phinehas. As they have gone into the promised land now, Joshua now says to them in Joshua uh, chapter 23, as he concludes and sends them off. I'll start in verse 10. One of you now routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But, and here's where I begin here. If you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you. Whips on your backs, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Unbelievable when you think of Solomon, that he, as he grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, and as the, as the heart of David had been before him. He followed the Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And even in the New uh, Covenant, Paul reiterates these very same ideas in quoting the Old Testament and says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And so, while this is an application, of course, in romantic relationships, it's also one that could extend to any entangling snare that would come into our lives. Remember who you are. You are a holy nation, God's precious possession. He has arranged quite intimately and given you a wonderful story so that you can realize how it is that your mother, your father, your 
Father in heaven was able to bring about you through Christ, through being born in Christ. All of this was against all odds. All of this was so that you could be here now and so that you could be a blessing to many nations, so that you could be one where the Lord behind you, you have great effectiveness. But if we allow the snares to come in, God says, he will remove his hand of effectiveness and will only know the horrors that attend to being caught in the snare. Let me encourage you here and now. Do you have a snare in your life? Something tugging you back into the world. Something taking you away from the preciousness of your identity, of being in the body of Christ, of being reborn in Christ. If, if, if that is the case, well then here's my final charge. Remove a snare. Remove it this week. Remove a snare. Any influence that draws you away from holiness. Decide what that snare is and then share it and celebrate it with a godly friend this week. You will not come away from this with regret. You will come away from this with a skip in your step, excited about realignment and renewal in the very will of God. Amen.